Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live.
Go to page number eight. Page number
page 10. Page 10 is beginning to rain.
past couple of days, past couple of nights, and during the Jewish observance of this holy day. But what they have done for evil does not corrupt this holy day that you created. Father, this day was made for rejoicing, for holiness, for sanctification, and for important meanings for your people. Father, on this day, your people was gathered together in worship and in prayer, expecting the fulfillment of your promise at any time. And it came on this day, not any day of the week, not any day of the year, but on this day that you poured out a greater measure of yourself, of empowerment and an increase to your church and your government here on earth. May we press forward past, past, even though we are continue to mourn for the loss and be grieved and frustrated and aggravated at the evil that's in this world. May we press forward to celebrate this holy day. We pray, Father, for safety for all the people that are keeping this day in your name. For all the people that are recognizing this day as a day of life and holiness. May they be protected, Father. We ask, Father, for your special anointing on this service here. Help me, Father, to deliver the truth and edification to your people. We ask, Father, for your anointing and blessing on all those that listen to this message at any time for their understanding to be increased, that you would impart to them understanding, understanding of spiritual times, of your spirit, of you, and of your will. And may we be increased of a greater measure of your spirit this day and this day forward. May we seek a greater measure of your spirit. And may we become filled with your spirit, which will consume and quench out all darkness, all wickedness, and all deception. We pray, Father, your will be done in all things here on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus Christ, so be it. Amen. Praise God. Well, happy Pentecost, everyone. That's the blowing of the shofar.
for the record, today's date is June the 12th, 2016, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, June 12th, 2016. We'll be starting in Matthew, if you want to be turning to Matthew, and in God's created calendar, it is the seventh day of the third month, seventh day of the third month. This is the day of Pentecost. 50th day from the Sabbath that occurs during the uh, Festival of Unleavened Bread. 50th day. And that means it is 10 days after Jesus ascended back into heaven. Matthew 28. And the message today is the power to go forward, the power to go forward. Pentecost represents many different things. It is full of significant meaning. It's a major holiday for the New Covenant Church. I'll go through a few of these meanings very, very, very briefly before we get into Matthew. I don't know if it's completely true or not, but the tradition is that this is also the day that God spoke the Ten Commandments to the people. And, of course, we also do know what happened on this day in the book of Acts when God poured out the Holy Ghost upon many people with the gift of speaking in tongues as well, or at least a manifestation of tongues. I don't know if they actually received the gift of tongues or not, but they were speaking in tongues on that day. But other than those two things, it also represents the first resurrection because in the Old Testament it was uh, connected with uh, lifting up into the sky a a sheaf of grain or whatever, uh, some grain up into the sky was lifted up toward the sky, representing a resurrection of the first fruits. This is also called many different names, like all the other holidays are called many different names by people. It's also called the Feast of First Fruits or the Feast of Weeks or Seven Weeks. Feast of First Fruits, meaning that those that rise in the first resurrection, they are the first harvest of the wheat. They are the first harvest of resurrection. They are the first resurrection out of the two resurrections. The first to be last and the last to be first. And we're going to be first in the resurrection. We're going to be the first fruit, the first harvest of the souls of God's people. Whereas there is a fall harvest represented by the festival of tabernacles in the fall, in the autumn, which will be in October of this year. But we'd be the first ones to be lifted up into heaven if we make it in that resurrection. So it looks forward to that day. 
But in the meantime, before we get to that first resurrection, it gives us, it symbolizes the environment. And that's what we're going to focus on today is that particular significance of this day, how it represents empowerment, strengthening, and increase of his spirit. Now, his Holy Ghost, as I'm going to show you, had already been given to the disciples. A lot of people are under a wrong assumption. The majority of people are under the wrong assumption that the church was founded this day. I used to believe that too because that's what I was taught. But then I read it in the Bible that Jesus, before this day, while he was still walking on earth during the 40 days, he breathed upon his disciples. We're going to read that in a minute. And they received the Holy Ghost. So it was not the first time, Acts was not the first time that anybody received the Holy Ghost. It was not the first time that more than just one, two, or three, or four, or five people had received the Holy Ghost. All the disciples received the Holy Ghost before Pentecost. And so the church was already founded. But on the day of Pentecost, it was empowered and increased with more people. The church was multiplied by a pouring out of anointing, blessing, a pouring out of his spirit upon the people. And so this day represents a, a pouring out of his spirit into us, of the Holy Ghost, an empowerment thereby. In Matthew 28, the last few verses, called the Great Commission, verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16. It says... But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to the disciples, to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Go therefore. We need to understand that the reason that the go therefore is directly connected to I have the authority, all the authority in heaven and earth, is is because he's not sending them out without any power. He's not sending the disciples out without any equipment. He's not sending them out without any strength, without any energy. But he's sending them out. He had already breathed upon them. They've already received the power from on high. These 11 men had. And so they were the seed. They were the first fruits of the first fruits. They were the seed of a larger church that grew into thousands on the day of Pentecost. He's saying, because I've got this power, I'm giving it to you. We'll see that in a minute. That not only do I have power, but you have power. Even as he said 
what, John 14, maybe that the works I have done, you would do and even greater works. I've done these things, now it's your turn, and I give you this power. He is not the only one with power here. He's given it to the disciples. He is uh what's that word again? I always have trouble with this word. When a manager designates, not designate, but uh gives it to another person, gives them charge, uh delegate, a delegating it to them and charging them and giving them the power, the duty and the responsibility to do this. So go therefore and make disciples. Make disciples. Right there is very significant, something that can be a whole sermon on that. Making disciples. That means uh, seeking out people who are willing to learn and then teaching, making disciples, making students, making followers of Jesus Christ, making going out there and making a profit in the kingdom, increasing the number of people. He's telling them, increase the number of people in the church. We should want a larger number of people in the church. Not for many reasons, but we should want more people in the church because we want more people saved. We want more people, more lost souls to be saved. Amen. To find joy. We want other people to find joy, peace, and so forth. And it says to do this of all the nations, internationally, worldwide. That would include Gentiles. That's why we call ourselves the Ecclesia of Theos, the Greek words for Church of God, representing that the gospel is not for the Jew only and not for the Hebrew root people only, but for all people of all colors and all languages and all races. That this is an international worldwide ministry, not Hebrew roots, amen. Baptizing them in my name is what it originally said here, going down to verse 20. But baptizing is a significant part of making disciples. It's not repeat a prayer after me. It's dunking them in the water. It is drowning them spiritually in the water that they are crucified, died with Christ, and and risen in Christ. You can't say you're born again and being crucified in Christ, resurrected in Christ, if you're not being baptized. You can't say that. Amen? You cannot say you have been crucified in Christ, resurrected in Christ, unless you have gone down under the water and been born of the water and the Spirit both. Amen. 
Thank you, Father. Verse 20, teaching them. Making disciples, teaching them. This is so much more than just telling people they're going to go to hell if they don't get saved. So much more. This is teaching them doctrines. Teaching them. Billy Graham never taught anybody anything other than that you got to get saved. And that will bring joy and peace into your life. But he didn't teach them you must be baptized. He didn't teach them the Ten Commandments. He didn't teach them the keeping of the seventh day. And without that, you're not saved. It says, teach them to observe all. Teaching them to observe all, everything that I have commanded you. That would include communion with wine and bread, unleavened bread and foot washing. The Bible says, if you do not do this, you have no life in you. If you do not do this communion, if you do not eat of this bread and this wine, you have no life, no eternal life, no salvation, no Holy Spirit, no Holy Ghost in you. Yet millions of people out there are saying they are saved, they're born again, and they've never taken communion. And the Bible proclaims them as deceived and lost and dead. They have no life in them according to the Holy Scriptures. This is what the Bible says, not me. Jesus said, we need to teach people these things. We need to teach people, you've got to take communion. You've got to be baptized. Jesus said that we are to teach everything that he commanded. Did he not command these things? Yes, he did. And lo, I am with you. Meaning, I've got this power, and I'm with you. And you've got this power, too, because I'm with you. How is he with us? He's actually not beside us. He is inside us. That is how he is with us. Many times we say Jesus is with us thinking he's beside us. But actually, if we really think about it, he is with us closer than that. Closer than a brother that would stand beside us. He is inside us. He is actually in our temples. We are the temple of the Holy Ghost. He dwells in us, abides in us, leads our thoughts. We have thoughts that we do not understand and realize it's actually him speaking. Until later we couldn't realize, wow, that was God that put that in my mind. That was God that spoke that in me. And as we mature closer and closer in him, we start recognizing those times more often and easier and sooner. And that's a growing process. But I'm with you always, even to the end of the age or end of the world. He's not left us But many people have left him 
Amen. But even to the end of the world means that in this end time, he's still speaking, regardless of all the false doctrines out there that says that there's no longer speaking in tongues and no longer any of the gifts of the Spirit, no longer the gift of healing, no longer the gift of miracles, no longer this and that. All lies. Jesus still exists. Even to the end of the world, he's still in us, still empowering us, still giving us the gifts of the Holy Ghost, still speaking, still moving and working in the church. The church still exists, and he still exists. And he is not a deaf mute. He is still speaking, moving, working miracles. Amen. And he's doing that in us. We are his hands and feet. We are his body. And what would his body be without any miracles, without any healings, without any gifts, without any power, without any Holy Ghost? It would be nothing. God is God. God is powerful. God is spirit. There is life in us. And so the gifts continue. How can you have God without miracles? Amen. If there's still a God, then there's still the gifts from God. The empowerment of the Holy Ghost. Now, this was spoken in these verses, either on the last day that he walked on earth in the flesh or very close to it. We're going to read some other verses that was definitely on the last day. Let's go to Matthew, I mean, not Matthew, but Luke, Luke 24. That's the last chapter of Luke, Luke 24, starting in verse 44. Luke Now, he said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses, talking about the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, so forth, Isaiah, and songs, the book of songs, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. In other words, to understand the scriptures in Isaiah and Moses and the other books of the Bible and the book of Psalms, how that those verses spoke of the coming and death of Jesus Christ and resurrection. The coming birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ was foretold in the Bible that they had, the Old Testament. And they did not understand it. They did not know that to the fullness. But now they did because he opened up their minds 
And that's an increase of knowledge of not carnal knowledge and worldly knowledge and scientific knowledge, but a opening of an increase of knowledge of the spiritual, the spiritual things and of the understanding of the scriptures. And God does do that to us after we start seeking him and after we are truly saved and truly received his spirit. That greater understanding will absolutely will come in each and every person that has received his Holy Ghost, his spirit. But it will come in measures, different measures and different people at different times in their life. You don't receive the full measure when you first get saved, when you first are baptized, receive his spirit. You don't receive everything in one day. You're a babe in Christ. You're all babies in Christ on that first day. And even as a child grows in more knowledge and understanding throughout their entire life, and we never stop learning, so is it also in the spiritual realm. But there is also a quickening of that knowledge once we reach a certain level in Christ. Once we are close enough to him, it may be days, weeks, months, years, decades after we got saved, that all of a sudden there will be an increase. That does happen. And that's what happens here. They had already been saved so many days before that when they received the Holy Ghost. But now, all of a sudden, there's an increase. On this day, the 40th day, and then 10 days later on Pentecost, another increase to a larger number of people. But he opened up their minds, it says here, and in verse 46, he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. Now, where that's exactly at, whether it's in the Bible we have now or a lost book or whatever, I don't know. But he said that it was written that he would rise again the third day. And verse 47, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father unto you. I'm sending you this empowerment. I'm sending you this goes there. Now, they had already received it. They had already received it. I'll give you that verse in a minute. But what he's saying is, I'm going to give to you as far as to your disciples that you are already working with, your students, the people that are already following you, and those, because it was only 10 days later that it came. So he is speaking about those other students, those other fathers that these 12 men had already been working with. 
And Jesus himself and these 12 men had, or 11 men, had already been out in the fields working for years, around three and a half years of ministering and evangelizing and teaching and ministering to the people far and wide. Large numbers of people, thousands of people heard them speak. It wasn't Jesus only speaking. He was training these men. He was training these disciples the whole time of how they can teach. And they were doing so. It was hands-on, it was hands-on teaching, a hands-on learning experience. As, as Jesus was teaching them, they were teaching others. They were baptizing others. Jesus himself did not baptize. He had his disciples baptizing in his behalf, in his name. So the people recognized these men as, as ministers. They knew these men were the inner group of Jesus Christ. They knew these men were ministers. They recognized them as ministers. And they paid attention to what they said. And they listened to them. And especially after giving testimony of the resurrection. Now you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father and to you, talking about to your disciples, to your group, to your students, to the whole church. Not just you, you men, because they had already received it. But you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. This is a promise. He already said it was a promise. He said here that uh, in verse 49, Behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father unto you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So the promise was, I'm going to empower you. I'm going to anoint you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to fill you even more and your students and everybody around you. This is, we need that power. We need more than just words. We need more than just words of teaching because if it's just words, people's not going to listen to us. Amen? People don't listen to just words. People need a demonstration of the power of God. The gifts are so very vital, extremely important. The people didn't follow Jesus just because of words. They followed Jesus because of the miracles. Amen. The church without the gifts is nothing. We have to have the gifts. And God does give people gifts. We've got to use them, recognize them, exercise them, bring them into action. Some people have the gift of faith, a great measure of faith, a supernatural measure of faith. Some people have the gift of tongues. Others have an interpretation of tongues. Some people have dreams. Other people have visions. Some people have the gift of healing. Some people have the gift of miracles, which is other miracles other than healing. And then there's others. There's others. 
I believe that the gift of song is a gift. And other things that God gives. And without these, the church is nothing. The church needs a demonstration of miracles. The people are seeking such a thing. There's a lot of other things they should be seeking too that we've talked about yesterday. But the people are seeking this. The people are seeking miracles. And if they don't find it in the true church, they will find it in Islam. And this and that and this and that. Because there are miracles of the devil and they're real miracles. The witches have real power. It's not fake all the time. The devil has real power. The fallen angels have real power. The church has real power. We just got to use it. Share it. Demonstrate it. Exercise it. Bring it about. Amen. And then once the true miracles do occur in the true church, they need to be testified about, witnessed about. Testimony is so important. A lot of people witness a true miracle and they sit on it. Or they testify about it one time and then never again. Or for one month and never again. But we need to continue to testify about the miracles that we have truly witnessed experienced in our own lives and those that we prayed for and those we know about and those we've heard about and spread that information far and wide like they did when they saw the miracles of Jesus. That's why more people came and more people came, more people came because they heard about the miracles of Jesus. People need to hear about these things like we experienced with James Jr., in Colorado, that he had that bicycle wreck. He was brain dead. Absolutely no brain signals at all could be measured. Brain dead. And now, within a very short period of time, very short period of time, he is home, walking and talking, feeding himself, and walking with nothing but one cane. Miracle. The people need to hear about. Amen. I've shared many miracles over the years on Facebook and in the newsletter and on the website and in the broadcasts and services and so forth. Many, 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 many miracles I have shared. You know how many people on Facebook re-shared that information? One or two at a time. One here, one there, two here, two there. But when it's a lie, when something is a hoax, it spreads all across the Internet. It goes viral. But when a true miracle occurs, my own friends on Facebook did not share it. They sat on it. Miracles are happening. Almost every day, or probably every day, some words within the true people of God. That people are sitting on it, not testifying, not publicizing, not publicizing it. But I think 
when a true miracle happens, we need to email every person on our email list and write a letter to every person that don't have an email or call them or visit them or something. Get this information out. And every so-called Christian needs to do that. And every true Christian needs to do that. There is power in testimony. That's a whole sermon in itself. You just heard it. (laughs) But look here in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And this was a true blessing, just like it was when Jacob laid his hands on his deathbed on Manasseh and Ephraim, that by lifting out your hands toward a person and blessing them, you can actually pass on real and true blessings to another person. Amen. This is a miracle in itself. Jesus did this, Jacob did this, and we can do this. This may be a gift that some people have. If they would just use it, exercise it, laying hands on somebody to impart blessing. And while he was blessing them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And after, after worshiping him, returned to Jerusalem with great joy. How do you think they worshiped him? Silently? No. Stiff-necked and stiff-body? No. You've got to bet. You've got to know they were down on their hands and knees. And that they were lifting up their hands up to heaven. They were worshiping him. Mind, spirit, body, mouth, and body, entire body. They weren't afraid uh, or embarrassed or ashamed of what others thought. Throughout the Bible we saw, people got immediately down to their knees and immediately down with their foreheads to the ground to worship God many times over throughout the Bible. People back then and even people in the Middle East today are not ashamed to worship God in front of somebody else. But Americans are too proudful, stiff-necked, and ashamed of God. Let us not be guilty of that. If we're in a worship service and feel like we're supposed to get down on our hands and knees and worship God, do so. I don't care if it's in a Baptist church. I don't care if they throw you out, lift you up physically and throw you out. We need to obey God. If we feel that urge to do something to worship God, even if it's in Walmart, do it. Even if they throw you out, it is a high privilege to be persecuted or arrested for Jesus Christ. But Americans are afraid to be arrested for Jesus Christ. And that's why there's not miracles. And that's why there's not a crowd. And that's why we're not seeing people the way and the measure that we need to be seeing people. We're too afraid to be arrested, too afraid to worship God, too ashamed and embarrassed. I'm going to put this message here on CD. And anybody that wants a copy, let me know. And you can mail it out to anybody that you want to mail it to. Now let's go over 
to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Acts 1, verse 1, the first account. This is Luke writing the book of Acts. Same one that wrote what we just read in, in the book of Luke right there. Luke wrote Acts. And Luke was a Gentile doctor from Syria. He was a Gentile doctor from Syria. Many people will argue about whether he was truly a Gentile or not, but I'm totally convinced that he was a Gentile. We know that he was from Syria. We know that he was a doctor. And he wasn't one of the first 12. He came along later, after uh, the resurrection. He came along later. Uh, or he may have even been one of the 70 uh, while Jesus was there. I don't know. But he wasn't one of the 12. So... Uh, but he wasn't uh, among the inner inner circle of Jesus Christ initially. He didn't actually witness anything that he wrote about in Luke, but he heard about it later and wrote of what he had done like a journalist, like a reporter, a journalist that researches the information, then writes about it. That was Luke as far as the book of Luke goes. But the book of Acts, he was in there by then. The book of Acts, he did witness it. And it says here in verse 1, Acts 1, verse 1, the first account I proposed, uh, uh, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. He gave orders to the apostles, to the twelve, whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of Theos. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father had promised, for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now, ten days later. Now, again, they had already received it, but he's talking about the larger number of people. So when they come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you, talking about those 12 men, to know, and this can't be applied to us today. He was talking specifically to those 12 men that it's not for you to know the times, the time eras which the Father has fixed for his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Hold your finger there. We're going to keep reading here in a minute. But I'm just going to go ahead and give you the proof that they had already received the Holy Ghost before this. 
that's very important. You need that proof right now. So hold your finger there or put a bookmark or something. And let's look at that proof over in the book of John. Let's, let me find it for you. Uh, John 20. John 20, verse 19. John 20, verse 19 says, So when it was evening on that, that day, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were, this is talking about the very day after Jesus had just been resurrected at 3 o'clock in the morning, Saturday night, before sunrise on Sunday. But then on Sunday, after sunrise and after he had met some people on the road to Galilee and later on in the day, and then it had become evening. So later on that evening, on Sunday evening, the first day of the week, which proves that Sunday is the first day and not the seventh day. And when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, of the Jewish leaders, I mean, these were Jewish people. They were Jews themselves. They weren't fearful of the Jews. They were fearful of the Jewish leaders. And any time in the book of John where it says Jews, it's talking about the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and so forth. And Jesus came and stood in their midst right there, and the doors were locked, shut. He didn't knock at the door. He appeared right in the midst of them without, without having knocked on the door. And he stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples then rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. Yeah, he had showed them the scars where they had cut the nails in his hands or uh, uh, wrist and his ribs or, yeah, his ribs near his heart, near his left lung and heart showed them where? the sword had pierced where the blood and water had come out. He showed that to them to prove that he was the Messiah who had been crucified but is risen from the dead three full days and nights later, 72 hours, and now even more time had passed since that. In verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. You know what? That goes all the way back to John 14 where he said, I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you this peace. So he's saying, I've come back as the comforter. I've come back as the Holy Ghost. I have come back as that, that, that advocate that I promised to you. He's coming. He's saying, I am that promise. 
I'm not a third person. I'm not a different person. I am that promise of peace, of the comforter. Peace be to you as the Father has sent me, as the Father has sent me. He sent the comforter. He's, he's identifying himself as the comforter. And I also send you. That same thing he said in Matthew 28. Because I have the power and authority, I send you, go therefore. But this is a few days before that he's saying it. And he says, because I send you, I, because he sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Ghost. So yeah, the disciples had received the Holy Ghost, got saved. Now they had already been baptized. Some people received the Holy Ghost at baptism, some before baptism, some after baptism. But you got to be baptized. And the disciples received the Holy Ghost after baptism, because the Holy Ghost did not come until after the resurrection. And this was after the resurrection. This is so, so connected with Matthew 28. Amen. I've got to make a, a note here in my Bible. It's so helpful to make notes when you come across these cross-references to make uh, these notes of the other scriptures. So that's connected to John twenty twenty-one. So John twenty twenty one is directly related to Matthew twenty eight nineteen. Matthew twenty eight nineteen. How about uh, I have the power? Go therefore. So he's saying because Father sent me, I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And what is Holy Ghost is the breath of God. If you look up the Greek word for spirit, you look up the Greek word for uh, ghost, and you look up the Greek word for breathe, or air, or breath, it's the same, all the same Greek word. So the spirit is the breath of God. He breathed into them that life-giving air, that life-giving breath and they received eternal life into them at that moment. But the Holy Ghost means that they received His Spirit, the same Spirit, but with the power of the crucifixion, the power of the blood of Jesus, the power of the resurrection, and the power of, of re-glorification with the Father. It's empowerment. That same Spirit always existed, but through the crucifixion, resurrection, and reglorification, it has a greater 
measure of effect upon mankind. A greater measure of effect, a life-giving effect, a rescuing effect, a salvational effect upon those that receive it. Nobody in the Old Testament could be saved. Even if they received the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, it did not save them because their salvation only through the blood of Jesus. Only through the blood of Jesus. Only through the eternal sacrifice that Jesus laid down his life for us. The penalty of sin had to be paid. He paid that price for us. That had never been paid in the Old Testament. They could not be saved in the Old Testament. So everybody in the Old Testament has to come back in the fall harvest, represented by the Festival of Tabernacles. They have to come back in the second harvest. The Old Testament people were not first fruits. Only New Covenant people are first fruits. The last to be first and the first to be last means those that came first into the harvest, I mean into the vineyard, those that came to work in the vineyard first, those that were called, hired in the Old Testament, those that worked in the Old Testament, those that preached in the Old Testament, all those people of the Old Testament, all that cloud of witnesses of the Old Testament, they was never saved by the blood of goats or the blood of anything. They have to come back. In the second resurrection, live to be a hundred years, live for a hundred years, learn about the blood of Jesus Christ. Be baptized in water, receive the Holy Ghost, and then at the end of the hundred years, stand at the white throne judgment. They will stand on the right hand side and be turned to spirit. Amen. God's plan of salvation is so much more accomplishing and accomplishing, encompassingly and accomplishing than what Babylon teaches us. Babylon teaches us that the majority of all mankind has ever lived has no hope, no hope. God is a loser and Satan wins. That's what the Baptist church teaches. That's what the Catholic church teaches. what the Pentecostal church teaches. It's what all the religions of man teach. Thank God I don't believe in any religion. Any religion. I don't believe in any religion. I only believe in God. I only believe in Jesus Christ. I only believe in what the, the scriptures originally said. Amen. I don't follow any religion of man, any denomination of man. Denominations will send you to the lake of fire. Got to follow God. Amen. Notice here in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them, and if you retain the sins of any, they have been retained. It says it straight out. There's no argument about this. People will argue, of course. Nobody, nobody believes this verse. But it says it straight out. He gave the ministers, the disciples, the apostles, power to remit or retain forgiveness 
of man. I've preached about this before. I need to write an article specifically about this. We are not tireless people. Everything that Jesus did in his ministry, same things we should do in even greater works. Did he not tell the men, your sins forgiven you? And they asked, or they, they criticized him for that. And he said, what's easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you or take up your bread and walk, be healed. The answer is, it's easier to say. It's easier to just say those words. You're forgiven. That is so much easier than it is to say, you're lame, but now you walk, or you're blind, but now you see. It's such a simple thing to say your sins are forgiven you. And because, because I remit this forgiveness to the Father, whatever I bind on earth should be bound in heaven, and whatever I release on earth should be released in heaven. Your sins are forgiven you. I pronounce it, I proclaim it in the power of the Holy Ghost. We have that power to say that, to do that. Now, I don't forgive you. God forgive you. Or do I? I do, don't I? I forgive you. And God forgives you because, because I forgave you. But it's not through my blood. It's through his blood. But I pronounce it. I proclaim it. I make it so. And whatever I make so on earth should be made so in heaven. And people will call that a Catholic doctrine. I'll call it a Bible doctrine. You'll find some truth in any church, any church, any religion, even in Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism, you will find something correct, something, and also something wrong. And a lot wrong in every religion. But just because they believe it don't mean that it's wrong. If it's in the Bible, if it's in the true scriptures and real scriptures and original scriptures, then it's true. But we want to deny the power of God. And we want to deny the power of God within men. We want to, to the typical Christian, the typical person, because of the deception of Babylon, what Babylon has taught us, what the world has taught us, we deny the power of God and we deny our own power. How can we perform anything that Jesus did and how can we perform any greater work than Jesus did if we deny the simple, simple, the most simple, the most simple gift, the most simple power to say, that your sins are forgiven. If we can't even accept this gift that God gave us, how can we do, how can we cast out devils? How can we heal the sick? How can we do anything if we won't accept this simple thing that God gave the power to the apostles and to the ministers of God? I believe anybody can do this if they have faith, if they believe the word of God, that believe the word of God that anything we bound on earth or release on earth should be done so in heaven. 
in its time. In its time. Do we believe the scriptures or not? The church had already started. The church had already started ten days before Pentecost. These men were given power. Real power. I'm talking about real power. Real power. Empowerment from on high. Empowerment from the very presence of God in our temple. The very presence of God. If we have the very presence of God in us, nothing is impossible for us. The Bible says that. Nothing impossible for us. Even greater works shall we do if we'll stop denying the power of God in us. If we'll stop denying the power of God in the New Covenant era. If we'll stop denying the power of God in the end times. By all these false preachers, these whoops that's teaching us that all the gifts are done away with, you need to just rebuke them straight to their face. Anytime anybody tries to tell us that the gifts are done away with, that tongues are done away with, or this is done away with, or that's done away with, or that apostles are done away with, or prophets are done away with, we need to just strongly, strongly rebuke them straight to their face and slam the door in their face. We need to start taking action against false doctrines. I'm talking about action. We need to start taking action against the woods that come in our homes and the woods that we talk to out in the places. We are the army of God, the government of God. We carry authority with us. We got to start using it. Where is, where is the body of Christ today? Going back to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 3. No, verse 6. Verse 6. Acts 1 verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord... Is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you, you twelve, you eleven, to know times or eras which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Now, they had already received power, so it's talking about their followers. When the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up, while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And when they were, as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing, talk about angels, in white clothing stood beside them, and they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him <coughs> go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, 
Mount Olives, where he's going to return, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Which proves that the seventh day still existed because uh, this is after the resurrection. And Luke is still calling the seventh day the seventh day or the Sabbath and still calling the first day of the week the first day of the week. So this proves that the seventh day was not done away with at the crucifixion. The Sabbath day journey. In verse 13, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And that is Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bar, Hullah, Mew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not Judas Iscariot. Now these all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So the women were there, women were there, and the women were praying. In verse 15, at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons was there was there together. So it wasn't just 11 people or 20 or 30, 40, 50 people. There were 120 people there. And said, verse 16, brethren, this is Peter speaking, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost foretold by the mouth of David, talk about in the Old Testament, concerning Judas Iscariot, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted among us and received his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field for the price of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, uh, and all his intestines gushed out. And it became known to all who were living in Jerusalem, so that in their own language, that field was called Hakkidamun, that is, the field of blood. For it's written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead be made desolate, and let no man dwell in it, and let another man take his office. We had just read that uh, last night, Psalm what? Psalm 108. So it's very interesting how God brings us back. We had just read that last night, uh, not in yesterday's service. I'm talking about my wife and I had just read this last night. <clears throat> Let another man take his office. We was reading that last night about Obama. <clears throat> Verse 21. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who had accomplished all of, who accompanied us all the time, that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they put forward two men. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was called Justice, and Matthias, and they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all men, show which one of these two you have chosen to occupy this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. Talking about the grave. 
and they drew lots for them. And the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles, making twelve. And when the day of Pentecost had come, the fiftieth day, the ten days after Jesus had ascended up, fiftieth day from the seventh day that occurred during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they were all together in one place. Why were they all together in one place? Two reasons. Because it was Pentecost, and they were still keeping Pentecost even after the resurrection. Second reason is because that Jesus told them to stay until they had received the promise. In verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, we'll continue to read this, but first, let's just make this clear. Those people that deny the power of God, those people that deny any of the gifts still exist, God is dead according to their theology. They try to say because, because we don't hear wind rushing, we don't see far above our heads that it's fake or that it don't happen no more. Well, that's just ridiculous, ridiculous way of rendering things to try to say that it has to match 100% identically every time it happens. It, it never matches identically every time it happens. It's always different in every service. Even in the Bible, it was not always the same in every occurrence. Don't try to limit God and say God has to do it A, B, C. People try to dictate the way God works. They try to be his boss. We should not limit God. It does not happen exactly A, B, C every time it happens. So verse 3, and there appeared to them uh, tongues of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled, filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, this does not mean that we all must speak in tongues. It doesn't say that. So don't add that into the Scripture. There's no verse in the entire Bible, no verse in the Bible, that says we must speak in tongues. In fact, it says the entirely opposite. Paul said in the Corinthians, do we all speak in tongues? And the angel is no. Do we all do this? Do we all do that? Do we all do this? He gave a whole list of yes. And the answer to every one of those questions is no. We don't all do the same thing. We don't all speak in tongues. We don't all interpret tongues. We don't all have the gift of healing. We don't all have this and all that. We all have different gifts. We're all different members of the same body. That different gifts, Paul said. Paul said it right out, that we don't all speak in tongues. In fact, in fact, he said, a greater gift, a better gift that you should seek more than tongues is a gift of prophecy. That's what Paul said. Prophecy is more important than tongues. Paul said that. So, if that be so, then how come we don't go out preaching? How come the Pentecostals don't preach that all must prophesy? They don't preach that. But Paul said prophecy is more important and that we should seek prophecy more. So the Pentecostals are hypocrites. Pentecostals are hypocritical about this. 
and they add into the Bible what does it say. It doesn't say, it never says that a gift of tongues is the only evidence of being saved. It never says that. So they've got to stop adding into the Bible what it does not say. This is occurrence. This is a one-time occurrence of what happened to those particular people. They received the gift of tongues, or they spoke in tongues. Other people spoke in tongues in other times. I've heard speaking of tongues. I've heard it been done in real, real time in my life. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've heard it. I knew it was real. I've heard interpretation of tongues. But I've also seen the fake tongues. I've also heard the demonic tongues, where it was totally demonic. I've also heard the plain gibberish, where it, was just, it wasn't demonic or true. It was just gibberish, make-believe. So it could be either one of those two. But those are real speaking in tongues, and it's not required. It never says it's required. never, ever says that it is required. Because if you've got to require tongues, then you might as well require all the other gifts. If you require one gift, then you've got to require all the gifts. And that's just ridiculous. In verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own tongue. That's also not always necessary. It's not always necessary. There's other times in the Bible people spoke in tongues, and it never said in those other times that they heard them speak in their own tongue. So it's not always the same. We have to be careful not to dictate the ABCs and it's got to be done exactly the same way every time. But in this case, the people heard them speak in their own language. Verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of them in our own language to which we were born? The Carthenians and the Medes and the Elamites and residents of Macedonia, Judea and Captatonia, Pompas and Asia, Pardia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Looking in the margin here is probably Jews, 10, converts, Gentile converts. Gentile converts. Verse 11, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great collection, saying to one another, what does this mean? The others were mocking and saying, they're full of sweet wine. So some did not hear it in their language. Some did not know what they're saying because they thought it was just gibberish. Some people thought it was gibberish, even though it was true speaking in tongues. Some people just thought they were drunk. But not everybody heard it in their own language. And there was no interpreter, was there? There was no interpretation. There was no need for interpretation because most people 
already understood in their own tongue. There was no interpreter. You don't always need an interpreter. There was no interpreter on the day of Pentecost. It, all, it occurs different at different times, different people, different situations. It's different. In verse 14, but Peter, taking his, his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Galilee and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words, for these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Now notice here, he didn't say they're not drunk because they're Christians. Notice that. Because if drinking anything at all was against the Christian faith, against the law of God, he would have said that. He would have said, they're not drunk. They are Christians. They are saved people. But he didn't say that these are people that don't drink. He didn't say they don't drink, which would have been the common sense thing to say. But he didn't say that. But rather he said, it's still early in the day. You don't say that unless these are people that do drink. But it's too early in the day for them to be drunk. Very clear here. But the custom among the Jews and the first century church, Gentile and Jew both, was that people did drink wine. That was the custom of the people at that time. It was a very, 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 very common for people to drink wine. People did not look down on it. It was the custom of the people, of the Jews and Gentiles, people living in that time. He said it's too early in the day for them to be drunk. And he said here in verse 16, but this is what was spoken to the prophet Joel, that it should be in the last days, God said, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above, and the signs in the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, of smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come, and it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Quotation from the book of Joel. And we're going to read that very shortly here. But it's very important to understand Peter was wrong. He was wrong. He thought that it was the fulfillment of the book of Joel and that the time of the end had to have been really close. The time of the end must be any day now, any week, any month now, that the end was going to come. Because, I mean, this scripture says that he was quoting from that these dreams and visions the pouring out the Spirit would happen in the last days, in the end time, during the opening of the sixth seal. That's what it's talking. This this is all about the sixth seal and the seventh seal and the sun. Did it happen? If Peter was not wrong, then how come 
There was no blood, fire, and smoke in the sky on the day of Pentecost. There was no blood, fire, and smoke in the sky on Pentecost. The sun did not darken. The moon did not turn to blood. It did not happen. It was not fulfilled at that time. Peter was wrong. He was a man. Peter was not Jesus Christ. Peter was not Jesus Christ. He was a man. And as a man, a man who had a lot of problems. Peter had a lot of problems. He denied Christ three times when the rooster crowed. He also denied Christ another three times when he refused to rise, kill, and eat the animals that Jesus had cleansed. He denied Christ three more times at that time in Acts 10. And God said, here are these animals. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was hungry, the Bible says. He was hungry. God tried to feed him. And he said, no, I won't do it. He rejected God. He rejected the blood of Jesus, the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse those animals. Jesus did cleanse those animals. It says so in Mark 17. It says it straight out. But Peter denied it. Peter had problems. Peter, when he saw Jesus coming, he threw himself in the sea because he was naked. He had problems. He didn't have to do that. God understood. Jesus understood. Whatever the reason was, he wasn't doing anything wrong. But Peter had problems. And Peter misinterpreted what was occurring. It was a great occurrence what was going on, but it was not the fulfillment of Joel 2. It might have been a foreshadowing of Joel 2, but it was not the fulfillment of Joel 2. Just because Peter said it was a fulfillment does not make it so. Peter is not Jesus Christ. The words of Peter is not written in red. It's because Peter said so does not make it so. Now let's go to the book of Joel. And Joel, let's back up and go all the way into Joel 1. He was quoting Joel 2. But let's go to Joel 1 and work our way into chapter 2. Now, Joel is over there near the very end of the Old Testament, close to the end of the Old Testament. Joel 1, verse Joel 1, verse 14. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of Jesus 
your theos and cry out to Jesus. I'm reading this the way it's supposed to be translated. And alas, for the day, for the day of G is at hand, and it will come as destructions from the Almighty. This is a prophecy of the end times. The end, the end times, we should be fasting, we should be gathering people together for a fast. Then you go over to chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm on my holy mountain, and let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is at hand, is coming. Surely it is near. The people need to be shaken up. It is needful. Instead of just always a feel-good message, I mean, there's a time for a rejoicing message. But there's also a time for judgment message. And the people need to hear that right now. It is so vital, important, and very, very, very needful for the people to hear that judgment is coming. In verse 2, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, as the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people. There has never been anything like it, nor will ever be again, to the years of many generations. Go down to verse 10. Before them the earth quakes, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars lose their brightness. G utters his voice before his army, and surely his count is very great, for strong is he who carries out his word. The day of G, or the day of Jesus, is indeed great and a very awesome. And who can endure it? Yet even now, declares G, belongs to me with all your heart. Return to me with all your heart. And with weeping, fasting, weeping, and mourning. And rent your heart and not your garments. Now return to G, Jesus, your Theos, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and kindness and relenting of trouble, it should say. Who knows whether he would turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? So forth. Then go to verse uh, 23. Verse 23. So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in you, your God. For he has given you the early rain for your vindication and he has poured out for you the rain, the early and the latter rain, as before, and the threshing floors before of grain. Now, a lot of people hate this verse, and they try to say it doesn't mean what it says, but it does mean what it says. And what it's saying, spiritually, symbolically, is there is a spring harvest and a fall harvest, a first rain and a second rain, a first Pentecost and a second Pentecost, a first outpouring and a second outpouring. The first Pentecost was a foreshadowing of what's going to occur. Amen. But the fulfillment of what Joel was really telling us is for our day, our time. But that was an early rain of foreshadowing. An early pouring out, a first pouring out, and then a latter days pouring out. 
I definitely believe in the early rains and latter rains pouring out. But you'll read a lot of articles on the uh, internet preaching against, teaching against the the doctrine of an early rain and latter rains because they don't believe in the power of God. They don't believe God's going to pour it out again. But God is going to pour it out again. It says so right here. God is going to pour out his Holy Ghost upon us again. Verse 28, it will come about after this that I will pour out. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. That's not talking about every person on earth. It's not talking about every person on earth. It's talking about every person who is seeking his spirit, every person that wants his spirit, every person that's willing to live for him, every person that repents for him, every person that's going to be truly saved. It's not talking about upon the wicked. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. It's talking about our day and our time even on the male and female servants. The females do have a part in the plan of God. Amen. The females do have a part in the ministry. The females do have a part in prophesying and dreams and visions. And they have a duty and responsibility to stand in church and say, I saw this. God gave me this dream. God gave me this vision. God gave me this tongue. God gave me this interpretation of tongue. In fact, in this day and time when all the men are lazy and all the men are spending all the time staying drunk or working on cars or watching the football game, who is there left? Who is there left to actually proclaim the Word of God but the women? If the Word of God comes from a woman's mouth, I'd rather take it than to reject it. I'd rather it come from a man or a woman. If it's the Word of God, I will accept it, regardless of who it comes. Even if it comes from from a donkey's mouth, I will accept the word of God. Amen. Don't limit how God can work. Amen. So now it needs to go according to Scripture, of course. We do need to respect the gender roles of responsibility, duties, and offices, administration of the structure of the church that God ordained. But that doesn't mean that he can't use a woman to proclaim his word. And we all have a part. We're many members of the same body. Many members of one body. And each member in particular needs to have time. The pastor needs to say, is there anyone here that has a word. Is there anyone here that has had a vision or a dream? And each one in their own order to take turns to share what God has given them to do. It might be a song or a tongue or a dream or a vision or a testimony, but each one needs to be given time to obey God and do what God has given them to do in their ministry before the church is released. But I'm going to pour out my spirit, it says here. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, and columns of smoke. And the sun will be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, 
before the great and awesome day of G comes. The day of Jesus, the day of the Lord. He's going to come back. Before he does, you're going to see all this. Well, you know what? That means the rapture cannot occur today because when I'm looking out right now, I don't see the sky full of smoke. The moon doesn't look like blood. The moon and the sun and the stars, they're still shining last night, last time I looked. Me and my wife went for a little walk last night. We saw the moon. We saw the stars. We, I see the sun today. Guess what? The rapture cannot occur today, tonight, tomorrow, this week, or this year, or next year. Cannot occur. Because God does not lie. And there will be blood, fire, and smoke in the sky. And the sun will turn dark. And the moon will turn to blood, appear as blood, before he comes. Before he comes, we will see this. So this is how you know whether it's the Antichrist coming or God coming. The Antichrist will split the sky. It will happen. The Antichrist will split the sky because the Bible says that he will sit in the seat of God, in the temple of God, showing, displaying himself as God. That's impossible to happen on the temple mount. You can't show yourself as God on the temple mount. Nobody will believe you. But in heaven, in the temple of God, where the temple of God is, Revelation eleven nineteen. yeah, yeah, people will believe you. But the sun will not be darkened yet. The moon will not be turned to blood yet. The stars will not fall from heaven yet. You won't see all this being fulfilled yet. So when that sky splits and this verse here has not happened yet, then you know it's the coming of the Antichrist rather than Christ himself. That's how you know the difference. This verse must be fulfilled before Christ comes. It says so right here. It must be fulfilled. So anytime some people try to teach you a pre-trib rapture, you need to get this verse out because that proves the pre-trib rapture wrong. Proves it wrong. And if they try to debate it, then they don't believe the Bible. You might as well just rebuke them and walk away from them because they don't want to believe the Bible. And they don't love the truth. They have no love of the truth. They're not saved. They're not your brother. They're not your sister. They are not saved. And they don't have the love of the truth. And we just need to tell that straight to their face. You do not love the truth. I'm preaching to myself as well. I need to bold up and just tell people straight the way it is. They need to hear it. Nobody else is going to tell it to them. Somebody got to speak up and just tell the people straight to the face the way it is. But it's going to happen one of these days, praise God. Let's look at Revelation 7. Revelation chapter 7.
And let's go back to chapter 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, verse 12. And now look, when he broke the sixth seal, there's seven seals in the book of Revelation. All seven seals must be woven before Jesus can come back. Very clear. Very, 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 very clear in the Bible. All seven seals must be woven before Jesus comes back. Read it. Read the book of Revelation. Take notes as you read it. And when he broke the sixth seal which has not happened yet, Jesus can't come back because this ain't happened yet. When he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs and shaken by a great wind. Now this ain't talking about the stars that you see out every night because if that was happening, the whole earth would be destroyed instantly. Those stars you see in the sky at night, they are actually bigger than our sun. Every one of them, every star you see out there is, is equivalent to a, a sun. They are suns, big, giant, huge, fall fires. If even one of those was to fall to the earth, the whole earth would be destroyed. So it's not saying the stars you see up in the sky. What it's talking about is uh, balls of light that look like stars falling from the sky. Some of them can be fallen angels, and some of them are, some of them are like things coming from the throne of God down to the earth. And some of them could be some, some uh, small meteorites, space junk, so forth, that's coming down from the sky. They look like fallen stars. It, it's impossible for them to be actual real stars. So you can basically see a meteor shower. Basically, a meteor shower, the blood, the, the moon will look like blood, sun would be darkened, maybe from uh, clouds from nuclear warfare, perhaps something like that. In verse 14, the sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of the wrath has come and who is able to stand. Now, a lot of people misinterpret this. They say this is actually Jesus coming back at that time, and it's not. Jesus does not come back at the opening of the sixth seal. Impossible. The reason it's impossible is if you keep reading. You've got to keep reading. You can't stop there. If you keep reading, there is a seventh seal that happens, and Jesus ain't back yet. In the seventh seal, there are seven trumpets. The first trumpet blows. Jesus ain't back yet. Second one, the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one, the sixth one, Jesus is still not back yet. 
And the wrath ain't even poured out yet in any of these trumpets or any of these seals until you get to the very last trumpet. Very, 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 very last trumpet. Then Jesus comes back. So, I mean, you've got to go all the way to the end. You've got to go all the way to the end. You can't jump ahead. You know, you can't get Jesus to be coming back before his time. Amen? God works on time. He does. God works by time that is appointed. The Bible says appointed time. He don't come just any old time. He doesn't just get up out of his chair and say, well, I think I'll come today. He's got a plan, and he's going to stick to his plan. There is an appointed time for these things. Verse 17 here is an announcement. It is an announcement, a pre-announcement, saying that he is coming, saying that the wrath is coming. The wrath ain't come yet here. The wrath ain't poured out here. You have to keep reading so I encourage you to study this out. I encourage you to read all of the book of Revelation and take notes and study it out, and it will become real clear. I mean, it is so clear. The book of Revelation is easy to understand. It really is. All you got to do is read it slow and take notes as you read. That's all you got to do is take notes, read it slow, take notes as you read it, and then you'll start to recognize, well, this is actually talking about something else that it says in a different chapter and prepare those notes of that chapter and go back and read those sections. It's not something that you can just read straight through from the first page to the last page and read it that simple and understand it. No, you won't understand it like that. But if you read slow, stop, Go back to the other section where it was talking about the same thing. Read that section again. Study it out. You're going to have to read a section. Go back to another section. Read it. Continue back where you picked up and read another section. You're going to have to break it apart in sections. You're going to have to flip pages left and right, left and right, left and right. It's not going to be a simple read. But if you study it out, flip pages here and there, here and there, and here and there, and study it out, then it becomes clear. It becomes real clear. Real clear. Once you read it like that. So, these seals have not been opened yet. The first four have. I encourage you to, to study that out. The first four seals. And I've got an article on the website. The Four Horsemen Revealed. The first four seals are the release of spiritual horses. They were actually demons. And the Bible talks about angels appearing as animals. And so the first four horses or demons are released upon the earth, and they're the demons of Islam, the demons of Nazism, and the demons of uh, communism. Communism is a spirit. Nazism is a spirit. Islam is a spirit. They are fallen angels. They are demons. And so I encourage you to go to the website, isawthelightministries.com, and, and, and look at the article, The Four Horsemen Revealed. 
those four seals have already been opened. The very next seal to be opened is the fifth seal. That fifth seal is the Great Tribulation. So the fifth seal opens, and we'll have the Great Tribulation. A certain amount of time will pass. Probably more than a year, probably more than two years will pass into the Tribulation when the sixth seal will be opened. The sun, the moon, the stars, we see these signs, these heavenly signs. Then there's the pre-announcement in verse 17. It's only an announcement that the day is getting closer. That now there's only like one year left or just a few months left or just a few weeks left. It's getting really close now to his announcement. It's not the actual pouring out of the wrath. It's not actually the coming of Jesus Christ. Yeah, the men are hiding themselves. They think God is coming that day. Because these men are wicked. These men don't know the Bible. These men don't know the Scriptures. They are not repentant men. So they don't know the time and the day. But us that are reading the Scriptures, studying the Scriptures, led by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, we're going to know how much time is left. We're going to know how much time is left. We might know the exact day. We might not know the exact hour, the exact day. But we're going to know wait, we've got to have at least six months left. We've got to have a year left. We've got to have two years left. We're going to know that. We're going to know that much because the Bible promises us that we're going to have 1,335 days from the time that Assad splits the sky, from the time of the abomination of desolation in heaven, of the Antichrist appearing in heaven, from that day to the day Jesus comes, is 1,335 days. Daniel 12 says so. I believe Daniel 12. I believe the Bible. I believe the Scriptures. Therefore, Jesus cannot come back until we see exactly, not one day less, not one day more, exactly 1,335 days from the time a saw splits the sky until Jesus splits the sky. Amen. So we all know we've got so much time left. We are not to be ignorant of these things. We are the body of Christ. We should understand these things, come to understand these things eventually. Amen. Praise God for what he's doing. Praise God for what he's doing. But you see, here in verse 12, that is the fulfillment of Joel. That's not happened yet. The sixth seal was not opened in the time of Peter. The sixth seal was never opened in Peter's lifetime. Peter was wrong. This has not been fulfilled yet. But then, after you do see this, after this does happen, then you can go to verse uh, chapter 7, verse 4. Chapter 7, verse 4. At, at the opening between the 6th and the 7th seal, this verse here, 7, verse 4, happens between the 6th and the 7th seal. The 6th seal is already open. The seventh has not been opened yet. 
Verse 4, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed in every tribe of the sons of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah, talking about the Jews, were only 12,000. But yet Babylon is always teaching you, all these books, all these preachers, every street corner preacher all across the world is saying 144,000 Jews would be sealed. And that's a lie of the devil. They don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. Right here is only 12,000 Jews. Only 12,000 Jews are sealed. And then of the other tribes, there's 12,000 from Reuben and from the tribe of Glad is 12,000. From the tribe of Asher is 12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, which is the American tribe, 12,000. From the tribe of Simon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Asachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. And from the tribe of Joseph, which in this particular context is the British Commonwealth. 12,000. And from the trial of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. Verse 9, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, more than 144,000. Jehovah's Witnesses preach only 144,000 entering heaven. But verse 9 says, not only is there going to be those 144,000, but it's also going to be a great multitude of people who are not Israelites. See, all the 144,000 are Israelites, only 12,000 Jews, but 144,000 total Israelites who have a special seal, a special seal of protection that will be uh, enacted at that particular timing between the sixth and the seventh seal. So nobody has this yet. There's no such thing as 144,000 today. Nobody anywhere have the seal of the 144,000. This has not been fulfilled yet. So the Jehovah Witnesses have no claim to this. They, they, they try to make a claim to this. That church and this church and that church and that church tries to make a claim to this. But there's no such thing as 144,000 yet. It's not been fulfilled yet. Now, they're alive, these people are alive, but they have not been sealed yet. Now, I've been sealed, but not with the seal of the 144,000. You've probably been sealed, but not with the seal of the 144,000. There are different seals. And so some people can be sealed with protection without being sealed of the 144,000. The 144,000 is a specific seal for a specific people, for a specific time purpose. This doesn't mean that these are the only ones going to heaven. This doesn't mean that they're the only ones going to be protected. It's just a specific seal for a specific people for a specific time period. Now, they are all men. All 144,000 of these are men who are literal physical virgins. These are men who have never had sex with anybody in their lives because the Bible says so. The Bible says that they are all virgins who have never been defiled with a woman. That is not symbolic. That is not spiritual. 
That is a literal thing. You don't have to interpret it. It is literal. But we have a great multitude here too, verse 9. A great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our fields who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, the angels. They fell on their face. Yeah, they, they're not afraid to worship God. They fell on their face before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, and blessing, and glory, and wisdom, and thanksgiving, and glory, and honor, and praise, uh, power, and might be to our Father, to God forever and forever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, These who are clothed are the white, in the white robes. Who are they? And where have they come from? Verse 14, And I said to them, My Lord, you know. He said to me, These are the ones who come up out of the great tribulation. These are saints. These are people washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. These are people who are saved. And guess what? They had not been raptured from the tribulation. They had not been raptured or protected even from the, uh, from the tribulation. The 144,000 are protected. But the great multitude uh, may have been protected or may not have been protected, but either way, they endured the great tribulation. They were not raptured out. This is solid proof, solid proof against the pre-trib rapture. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of Jesus, and for this reason they are before the throne of God. But if you keep reading from verse 15 all the way to the end of the chapter, this is a picture of them standing at the white throne judgment or after the white throne judgment. This is a picture of them standing in the new heaven and new earth, actually. This is a, a projection, a vision into the future. Okay? So this is one of those times that you got to flip the pages. You can't just keep reading. You have to stop, pause, flip the page. So if you compare... Verse uh, 15, 16, and 17, these three verses, compare them to Revelation 21 and Revelation 22. And compare how it says that uh, they are hungry no more and be no more thirst. And there won't be no sun, there won't be no moon in that day and time of new heaven and new earth. And there won't be, and that God will wipe away their tears. So this is a vision of the great multitude, a vision of new heaven, new earth, of people who made it to paradise, of people that's going to be in the new heaven, new earth, that had went through the tribulation and was resurrected either in the first or second resurrection and made it past the white throne judgment and made it all the way into the new heaven and new earth, and they actually made it into paradise. It is projection, a vision into the future. Very clear, very clear when you compare the verses, these three verses, and compare them with Revelation 21 and Revelation 22 of new heaven and new earth. 
no hunger, no pain, no thirst, and no tears. And God being with them, they're living with God. Very clear there. So there's proof that there won't be just a few in heaven. Or, I mean, just in, in paradise. There won't be just a few in paradise. There's going to be a great multitude of all tribes, of all languages, of all nations. Many people that nobody can count. Even the angels can't count. Nobody can count them. There's going to be a lot of people. Lots of people. Lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people that make it into the new heaven, new earth. Don't let people fool you. God is not a loser. God is not a loser and the devil is not going to win. There's going to be a lot of people. The Bible says so. Amen. Praise God. Now, but what I want to say to you now is just as the church started with 11 men plus Jesus, just as the church started small, but God increased it. He multiplied it on the day of Pentecost. He poured out his spirit. We're going to see a repeat in our day and in our time. We may or may not see the tongues of fire. We may or may not hear the noise of wind. But he's going to pour out his spirit. He's going to pour out that Holy Ghost again. It says so in Joel chapter 2. Amen. That that's going to happen before Jesus comes. I don't call it revival. But what I do call it is an empowerment from on high. Amen. He's going to empower his church again. And he is going to pour out his spirit on you and on me. And we are going to be strengthened. We are going to be empowered. And we are going to see more miracles than what we're already seeing. We're going to be increased. We're going to receive the power to go, therefore, into the world. We're going to receive that power. It is a promise to us. In Joel 2, God has promised us that he is going to empower us, to strengthen us, encourage us, and give us the power to move forward and press forward. We're going to see great miracles in our day and our time. It is near, even at the door. Amen. Praise God. We've got a lot of good things to look forward to. And even as he went from 11 men to thousands of people, He's going to move forward from just you and me to thousands of people. And then eventually it's going to be 144,000 people. And then eventually it's going to be an unnumberable amount of people. Innumerable amount of people. God is going to increase his church. We need to remember this. Stand in victory. Don't be discouraged. I confess over the last few days, I've been so discouraged. Because I look out, I feel like Elijah. Am I the only one? I confess these things. But I know the Bible. I know the Bible and what it says. And God has promised us that he is going to empower us 
anoint us, bless us, strengthen us, and increase us. He is going to increase this harvest. God is the guard of the harvest. God Almighty, Jesus Christ, is the God of this harvest. And his word will not return void nor vain. It's going to accomplish the purpose which Porphyry has been sent. And you, you are going to see the fruit of your harvest. You're going to see the fruit of your work. Lisa, my dear sister, you are going to see the fruit of your labor. Amen. Brittany, my dear wife and my dear sister, you are going to see the fruit of your labor. And I am going to see the fruit of my labor. Right now, it's only the three of us. Only the three of us. There's a lot of people just sneaking a peek here and there and sneaking a, 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 a ear of fear here and there. But they, they are no-shows. They're, they're no-shows. But this, is only, this dry season is only going to last so long. Events God's going to bless it. We can look at the ground and just wait. When is that bean going to come up? When is it going to sprout? But one of these days, it's going to happen. And it is close. It is closer now than ever before. We're seeing in the news all these stuff going on. Sooner or later, this earth is going to shake. Sooner or later, the prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Sooner or later, they're laughing and they're mocking and they're ridiculing. It's going to be changed and turned to the attitude of, wow, they really didn't know what they were talking about. Wow, they told us this is going to happen. And then they're going to be asking questions. Amen. They're going to be asking questions with an eagerness to learn, an eagerness to actually accept the truth because God is going to vindicate his word. Amen. God is going to vindicate his word and God is going to vindicate his people. Amen. God is going to vindicate his prophets, his apostles, his pastors, his evangelists, his deacons, his deaconesses, his prophetesses, his people, his bride, his women, his men, his sons, his daughters, he will vindicate us. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. And look at Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. That's right over there after Ephesians and Galatians, or actually right after Ephesians. Philippians 1, verse 3. Philippians 1, verse 3. I thank God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy, in my ever prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel, 
from the first day until now. You've never left. Praise the Lord. Lisa, you're the only one that's not left us. Brittany, you're the only one that's not left me. From the first day until now, your participation in the gospel. Verse 6, for I'm confident of this very thing. For he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is going to perfect it. God started this ministry, not me. God started all this, and he's going to finish it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is the author and the finisher of this ministry, of our knowledge, of the information we know, of our doctrine, of our belief, and of our faith. He is the author. Amen. He is going to finish this. He's going to perfect it. It will be perfected to the very day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Look at 1 Peter, the book of 1 Peter, over there closer to the book of Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 1. It is so encouraging to me. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, great mercy, have caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen. It's not a dead hope. It is a living hope, an active hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. This is talking about us. We're going to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and would not fade away. Reserved in heaven for us. It's reserved in heaven. We've got a reservation. Wow. We've got a reservation. We have got a reservation in heaven for you, for me, for us. We've got a table waiting for us. Wow. Praise God. We've got a table at the marriage supper. We've got a reservation in heaven. There's a reservation for Lisa, for Brittany, and for Tim at that marriage supper. We're going to sit down and all eat together one day, the three of us and a bunch of other people, and all those that come later, we're going to all sit down together, eat a fine feast, fine feast. At the marriage, I hope there's potatoes. I love potatoes. At the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. <laughs> and you know there will be, if there's something that we love, it'll be there. Strawberry shortcake. Reserved in heaven. Who, verse 5, who are protected and Brittany, you no longer be allergic to strawberries. Verse 5 who are protected. See, we don't need to seal the 144,000. If you're not a virgin male, I'm not a virgin male, we don't need to seal the 144,000. We don't have to steal their prize. 
We don't have to steal their gifts. We don't have to steal their stuff. God protects us. We can be protected who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed, a package ready to be opened in the last time. Amen. Verse 6. In this, you greatly rejoice. Amen. We've got something to rejoice about, even now, because we know we got a reservation. Greatly rejoice, even now. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, that you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, Proof of our faith is more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him yet, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible. Amen. We cannot express it. And full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. It's going to happen. It is written in the Word of God. It is written in the Scripture. It is written. And it's going to happen. We've got to look at the finish line. Don't be looking so much at all the negative things. We can't hide our head in the sand either. We've got to be aware of what's going on. But we always need to also look up. Look up for our redemption draws near. We've got to go through all this, but that's okay. God is with us even to the end. God is with us. We can have, we can have joy and peace and comfort regardless of how hard the earth shakes. Me and Brittany spent many times in a tent when the wind was so loud and so strong. When we lived Somewhere near a valley there in the mountains. At that time, where wherever that valley was, I had read about it one time that the wind would rip through there at over 100 miles per hour. And even though I never saw that valley, I don't think, I could sure hear it more than once or twice. Quite a few times we could hear the wind rushing through that valley over 100 miles per hour just rushing through that valley. And it sounded like a train, like a tornado coming. And many times there were tornado warnings. Many times the tent would be shaken. And one day I spent, I don't know how many hours, many hours, trying to just hold the tent down on that one day. But God, But God, that has nothing to do with our strength, 
that God was teaching us. God was teaching us to trust Him. And eventually I learned, don't even get up out of bed. Just lay there and trust God. Just trust God in the midst of the storm. Remember in the boat how the sea was raging. The men were scared. Wrong men. Expert sea travelers. Expert fishermen. Moncho men. But they were shaking in their boots. Jesus was sleeping like a baby. Jesus said, are you of little faith? So, we need to have big faith. Little faith, no, Babylon's wrong. Little faith is not enough. We need big faith. We need big faith for a big time. We need big faith for a big time. God is increasing your faith. God is increasing our faith. He'll continue to increase our faith. Thank God for every trial that comes. Thank you, God, for every whipping, for every trial, for every test, because every time that we have a trial or a test, it makes us stronger in the Lord and trust in Him more. Thank God for every trial and tribulation we go through because it is building our faith in God. Build in our faith. Build in our trust. It says here in verse 9, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's read one more passage. One more passage in Romans 8. And this is my favorite chapter of the whole Bible. Romans 8, verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's a lot of glory that's going to be revealed in us. For the anxious longing of the creation, talking about all creation, the moons, the stars, the planets, the solar system, the galaxies, the whole universe, waits eagerly for the manifestation, the revealing of us, of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility. They wasn't created that way. In Genesis 1, verse 1, God created the heavens and the earth perfectly, without fault, without void, without flaw, nothing wrong. But verse 2, the devil failed. The devil rebelled against God and brought corruption, brought vanity, and fertility and corruption and void in vain into the earth and into the solar system. And the landscape of Jupiter, Mars, and all the planets changed with the rebellion of Satan, with the war in heaven. And so that creation was made subject to fertility, not willingly, 
that because of him, Satan, who subjected it, who waged war, in hope that the creation, in hope, in hope, in hope that he would become God. That Lucifer hoped that he would overthrow God is what it's talking about. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from that bondage. The creation will be set free from the way it looks right now, from the decay and corruption that came about in that rebellion. All the planets, solar systems, will be set free from that current condition that they're in, from its slavery to corruption, into the freedom, the liberty of the glory of the children of God. We're going to inherit not only the earth, but we're going to inherit the universe. We're going to inherit the stars, the moons, the planets, the solar systems, the galaxies. That stuff out there we see in the sky was not made only just to look at. It was made as our crowns, our rewards. Some people will be given uh, one acre of land. Some people will be given 10 acres, 100 acres of land. Some people would be given one town, one county, one state, one nation. Some people would be given one planet, two planets, three planets. Some people would be given one solar system, two solar systems, one galaxy, two galaxies, whatever. It was not made in vain. God didn't make anything in vain. There's a reason, a purpose. When we look up at the stars at night, we can wonder, I wonder which star is mine. That is a glimpse into our rewards. Looking up there, we can glimpse into our future rewards, what's going to be delivered over into our hands. For God owns all things, and everything he owns is going to be delivered into our hands. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation, all the creation, all the solar systems, the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits. This is Pentecost, representing the first fruits. We're the first ones going to enter into this. We're the first ones going to enter into uh, the resurrection, be torn in, tur- uh, turned into spirits. Even we ourselves have the first resurrection, even those, those of us of Pentecost. Even us, we are of Pentecost. We are of We're the true Pentecostals. They are the fake Pentecostals. We're the true Pentecostals. They don't even know this day is Pentecost. All across the United States, all across the world, people are meeting the Pentecostal church and don't even know that this is the day of Pentecost. I know that to be true because I used to be in the Pentecostal churches and would go to church on the Pentecost day and they wouldn't even say a word about it. They didn't even know it was Pentecost. They don't know about God's holy days. They don't know the Bible. We're the true Pentecostals, meaning that we're of the first resurrection. It doesn't mean that's our religion, our denomination. We have no religion. We have no denomination. We follow God. But even we ourselves of the first resurrection, the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting, Eagerly, 
For our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, we want to get rid of the flesh. We want to shed our flesh and 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 come out of this limitation, come out of this corruption, come out of this decay, come out of this body of death. Be set free and be the spiritual beings that we really are. We got to start recognizing we are spirit. And the Bible even says that if you have His spirit then you are not flesh. The Bible says that. It says if you are born again, if you have his spirit, you are not flesh. You are spirit. That's another reason why we're not exercising all the things that we need to exercise because we're not remembering, hey, guess what? I'm a spirit in this flesh. We need to start acting as spiritual sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We start remembering who we are and claim who we are, act as who we are. Then there'd be even more miracles and more power. Amen. Verse 24, from hope we have been saved. But what is hope? That is seen is not hope, but who hopes for what he already sees. In other words, we need this this time of trial and testing to test our faith. We have not yet seen him, but we already love him. That builds our faith. If we was to see everything, that wouldn't build our faith very well. But because we don't see this stuff, but yet we look into the future. We look and see the future written in the scriptures builds our faith. Verse 25, but if we hope for what we do not say with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. Escaping in a pre-trib rapture is no perseverance, it's cowardness. Escaping, wanting to escape in a pre-trib rapture is being cowardly. The cowardly, the fearful, shall not enter into the kingdom of God, the Bible says. It is cowardly to want to be raptured out before all this happens. We need the tribulation. Amen. We need the great tribulation to purify us. The trials of our faith are much more precious than gold and the sufferings of this time and the sufferings that we're going to go through. The sufferings of the great tribulation are not going to be even worthy to compare with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. We are the family of God. We are the sons of God. We are God's family. We're going to rule the universe. The sufferings of the great tribulation are not worthy to be compared with the glory of our rewards of what we're going to receive and what we're going to do in the kingdom of God, our kingdom, our family, our government. We are royal people. We are kings and queens. We are royalty. Babylon has taught us to put ourselves down. But we are royalty. We are not trash. We are not trash. We are royalty. Amen. We can't let it go to our heads 
but we still need to recognize we are royalty. And as royalty, we have power. We have authority over every wicked thing. And the whole I give unto you power to thread over serpents and over scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you by any means. Luke 10, 19. The whole I give unto you power. Luke 10, 19. The whole I give unto you power, Jesus said. Power to thread over serpents and over scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you by any means. Amen. Praise God. Today is a new day. Today is a new week. Today is Pentecost. Amen. Praise the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Pentecost. A holy, sanctified, set-apart day for the kingdom of God. For the citizens of the kingdom of God, for royalty, for his royal family. Today we worship God. Today we are strengthened. Today we are edified. Today we know more than we did yesterday. Today we are empowered, encouraged, strengthened, and made more solid in Jesus Christ. And we shall not be moved. Amen. I got a reservation. We got a reservation. And no man is going to steal our crown. Amen. No man, no woman, no child, nothing. No spirit, no power, no principality, not even death itself. So separate us from the love of God. Amen. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, O God. Let it rain. Send the latter rains, Father. Send the latter rains. Let it pour out upon us. Baptize everyone and baptize even me in the Holy Ghost and fill us up, Lord God. Strengthen us and fill us up to the measure and overflowing, pressed down and flowing over. Fill us up, Lord Jesus. Empower your church even today. Empower Lisa. Empower Brittany. Empower me. And empower every person who comes to listen to this broadcast, who listens to every word without cutting it off, without throwing it away, without deleting it, who accepts it as the truth, who's willing to search it out and seek it out and accept it as the word of God and does not reject this as a message from on high. Amen. I pray for a blessing and pouring out of your Holy Spirit and empowerment to the ministry of I Saw the Light Ministries and those who do not reject this work that you have created, Father. Blessing on those that receive your messenger. Blessing on those that receive your word, your prophecies, your revelations, your truths, your scriptures. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. 
Praise the Lord. Praise God. Go forth, army. Our king has all power in heaven and earth, and now it is given to you and me. Go, therefore, into all the nations. Teach them all things that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of Jesus Christ. So be it. Thank you for listening, and I will see you again next seventh day. And uh, be empowered this week and forevermore. Let this be a new day and a new season in the church of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God. Amen. All this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.